Please be seated. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen. So the gospel this morning was interesting. That's what we're preaching on today. It was the first day of the week, which is to say it was the evening of Easter Sunday. Peter and John had run to the tomb. John was quick to say who won the foot race. John is faster than Peter. But Peter's more bold. He walks in, sees everything. John walks in, sees everything. Mary Magdalene sees Jesus sometime after that. So she came to the tomb, the way this goes, came back, got Simon Peter and got John, came back with them. He's not there. Sometime later, she's back at the tomb, sees our Lord. Lord says, don't touch me because that's not who I am anymore. Okay, you will embrace me by faith now. And so now these brave ten men, because Thomas isn't there, okay, that he appears in the next scene. So it's ten. Judas has killed himself. So we got ten men in the upper room. Brave men. The door is locked, afraid that they're going to get killed. Just remember the scene three days before where Three gals named Mary and the Apostle John stood at the foot of the cross saying, we're with him. Kill us too. So here are the brave apostles with the doors locked. And Jesus appears among them. The doors are locked for fear of the Jews. Does he walk through the wall? Does he just in some divine way will himself into the room? We're not really sure. It doesn't say. But he is in their midst all of a sudden. Miracle. Because a man does not appear in a room that, with the doors locked and four walls, just, you know, without opening a door and walking through or knocking a wall down. So there he is. And it says in the gospel that, um, uh, that they were glad when they saw the Lord. Okay, but he says that after he showed them his hands and his side. Another remarkable thing that the Lord of glory, the second person of the Trinity, wears the scars for us for all time. You, my friends, will not wear the scars. You will not wear the gray hair. You will not wear the, the wrinkles. I'm covered in scars. I mean, I've been in combat and then you know, I had cancer, so I'm just covered in scars. They will all be gone. Why? Because Jesus wears his forever. But they were afraid he was a ghost, to be truthful. They were afraid that he was an apparition. And so he shows them and says, look, flesh and blood. And one of the key doctrines of our faith is that Jesus was raised bodily. He was not a spirit. He was made alive the self-same flesh, yet glorified. And he says to them, peace. And then he says it again. And what happens next is really remarkable. He breathes on them. 
He says, receive the Holy Spirit. And he says, if you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven. If you retain the sins of any, they are retained. Now, you know I'm going to be quick to tell you that that is the sacrament of confession. And it is what the Book of Common Prayer teaches. First exhortation, page 88, says, If your conscience is bothered, come to the priest or some other minister and make a confession. (gasps) Shocking. I thought that was Roman Catholic gibberish. Page 313. When you're visiting the sick, there's a rubric that says, If the man wants to make a confession, let him make his confession and hear it. And grant him absolution. Calm him down. Give him some solace for his soul, priest of God. And of course, that's what the man is to do. The most fascinating thing, however, is the ordinal. Now you go ahead, you've got prayer books there. Go ahead and grab one. That's the reason why we got them in the church. Grab your prayer book. I'm telling you, grab your prayer book. If you don't have one in your hands, you're doing the wrong thing, Deacon Dave says. There we go. We're going to find it there. There you go. Okay, I'm just making sure the choir's on board. They're back there not doing anything. Now look at this. Page 564. I'm sorry, I didn't tell you the page number. Okay, page number 564. The second paragraph, the rubric at the top with the little paragraph sign says, when this prayer is done, the bishop with the priest present shall lay their hands severally upon the head of every one that receiveth the order of priesthood, the receivers humbly kneeling and the bishop saying, read along with me, 564. You're not on 564? There's a rubric and there is, oh no. Okay, does everyone have what I have? I thought the pagination was the same for all Book of Common Prayer. Is it not? No problem. 546. Did I say it wrong? Okay, so I'm not great with numbers. Okay, I'm better with words. Okay. Just turn to 546 and stop criticizing the deacon. <laughs> All right. Okay, now we're on the same page? Yes. All right. See the big word receive? Yes. Yeah, there we go. Receive the Holy Ghost. This is what the bishop says when he lays hands on him. Receive the Holy Ghost for the office and work of a priest in the church of God now committed unto thee by the imposition of our hands. Whose sin thou dost forgive, they are forgiven. And whose sin thou dost retain, they are retained. And be thou the faithful dispenser of the word of God and of his holy sacraments. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen. Does that at all look familiar to what just happened in the gospel? Jesus says, blows on them instead of putting his hands on them. That's a change, okay? But then he says, receive the Holy Ghost. And those whose sins are for, you forgive are forgiven. And those sins you retain are retained. It matches the Bible. That's a good thing. The one below it, not so much. So we're not going to concentrate on it. But, well, I mean, okay, we'll take a look at it. It says, take thou authority and execute the office of priest. Does any man ever take the authority of a priest? 
No. He receives it. And in fact, our bishop, Chandler Holder Jones, can pull out a chart for you, as any apostolic bishop can, whether he be Eastern Orthodox or Roman Catholic or the, the, the National Catholic Church or the Old German Church or wherever it is that has apostolic orders, and they can trace back for you all of the bishops in succession historically back to one of the twelve or more of the twelve apostles. If they can do that, then it's an apostolic church. The church was always very concerned with orders. So much so that the Roman Catholic Church in about uh, 1870, help me Father, 1878 or so, about 1878, Pope Leo XIII said, your orders aren't, aren't right. And the Bishop of Canterbury in York said, oh, no, my friend, they are. You are most incorrect. And why out of the blue are you saying this to us anyway? Which was the, really the strange part. It was a political thing. The, the, the Church of England was all over the world, and so was the Roman Catholic Church. They were competing. So they said, no, you're not valid. But the fact of the matter is, is that their orders are valid. Okay. And every, every church has always made, well, not every church, but every church that is concerned about apostolic succession has done that. Why are they concerned about that? Because of what happens here. Because power is conferred upon the man in tactilier succession. That means the laying on of hands. That's what the Apostle Paul says to Timothy three different times. Remember the gift that you received. This candle is really in my way. Remember the <laughs> gift that you received. Seriously. When I laid hands on you, stir up that gift. Remember, Timothy, that the reason why you have power, the reason why you're a bishop is because I, the Apostle Paul, laid hands upon you. So a priest such as Father Wesley has that same power. Does he have all of it? No. This is what he's missing. He's a second order priest. Not second rate, but second order. <laughs> he is a second order priest. And what that means is, is that the one thing he can't do is apostolic succession. The bishops reserve that to themselves. They're, they're fine to have a little helper like this, and if you think that's funny, I'm his little helper, okay? <laughs> and I rarely get called little. But uh, anyway, but that's what a, that's what a second-order priest is. He helps, the, he helps the bishop. But apostolic succession remains within the episcopate, the order of bishop. What can you say about, okay, now... I'm not, I was raised a Methodist, and I, I, I love them to death. I really do. I, I was spent a long time in the Presbyterian church. I love them to death. My, my children are still Presbyterians to this day. So I love them to death, okay? I wouldn't be here if it wasn't for them nurturing me along. I'd like to think I graduated. But, <laughs> but what can you say about their, about their orders, really? Okay, the, tr this is, the truth of the matter is, is that Reverend Roy B. Phillips, who baptized me, was ordained by, you know, a bishop in the Methodist church, who was ordained by a man, ordained by a man, ordained by a man, we're going back into the 1800s, ordained by a man, so forth and so on, until we get to about 1800, actually, a little bit before that, where the Church of England and the, uh, and the Episcopal Church split off, okay? If you look at the preface to your prayer book, that's when that was first done, for the 1662, so now we have the American Prayer Book. And the Methodists were just kind of out there floating. There was two disciples of John Wesley. One was named Coke, 
the other named Asbury, neither of them bishops, who just made themselves bishop. Like in the second ordinal in this book, they took the authority. The problem is, is no man takes it. He only receives it. You can say that of Martin Luther. Martin Luther was not a bishop. He started his own religion. You can say that of every Presbyterian. This is, gets worse. And I was a Presbyterian for a long time. They could trace it all the way back to a French lawyer, John Calvin. He was not even a priest. Okay. The fact of the matter is, is that apostolic succession is very, very important. And the next time Bishop Chad, actually, next time he comes, I, he should bring the chart along so you can see it. Because he has it, and it's very, very important to us. Very important. Because what, it's, what it then does is the priest has the power to confect the body, blood, soul, and divinity of our Lord Jesus Christ upon the altar. He has the power to hear confessions, okay, if, so, if someone's so inclined. And truth be told, you know, the people think it's a Roman Catholic thing. 2% of Roman Catholics ever go to confession, okay? It, it's not so Roman Catholic anymore, okay? It's rare. I'm going to finish with why it's rare, because we need to really get to that part of it. Why is, why is confession so rare? Well, the reason why, folks, is, is that, uh, you know, nobody wants to really think that much about their sins. And they certainly don't want to tell anybody their sins. It's horribly embarrassing. Now, you do realize that just like in any other church that has confession, and by the way, they all have confession. Even some of the, the ecclesial bodies have confession. There's, con, there's a, a, a form of confession in the Methodist church. There's a form of confession in the Lutheran church. I couldn't find one in the Presbyterian church. But there's, but there's one in the Eastern Orthodox churches, all the apostolic churches, and one in the Roman church. There's certainly one in our church. Okay? So why is it that people don't want to go to confession? Well, they don't want to think about their sins. And they certainly don't want to sit there and make a list of them mentally, which is what you do before you go to the confession. You sit there and you say to yourself, and there's a number of ways of doing this. You can use the Ten Commandments, however broken commandment number one. Okay, how about broken commandment number two? You know, and you make a list. As you make this list, and I'm going to say this extremely clearly, do not write them down. The list is a mental list. For the love of everything, don't write them down, okay? I don't want lists of people's sins floating around. That would be just horrible. Don't make, don't make an actual list. When I say list, I mean mental list. Just, re just remember them. But the reason why people don't want to do that is because they don't want to think about their sins. And the fact of the matter is, is I hate going to confession. I do go to confession, but I hate going to confession. But I love to leave confession. I absolve you of all of your sins in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Oh, what great words. And they have power because the priest has the power to do that because it was given to him by Jesus and their successors, the bishops. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen.